Come on, let's, yeah. Let's thank Kenny and Olivia. What a powerful testimony. Hey, don't sit down quite yet. We're gonna stand for the reading of God's word, but uh, before I get into it, I wanna again welcome you to Renovation Church. My name's Cody Woodard. Anybody excited to be in the house today? Amen. Welcome to everybody watching uh, Church Online. Before we dive into John chapter eight, if you're new here, we've been going through this series called I've Got a Testimony, where over the past eight days, uh, we have embarked on reading through the book of John, and we've prayed and we've fasted. Uh, 40, 50, 60 people have gathered at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday at the church for a time of prayer and communion, reading God's word, and it's been really, really powerful. And uh, I just wanna say thank you so much for those of you who reached out to me last week after uh, we, we finished that message. Unfortunately, for so, for, for so many people, they didn't get to, to hear or watch the service last week. And so as we transferred data uh, over to our online platform, it, it got corrupted and failed. And so we weren't able to actually show last week's service. Now, here's why I say that, because as a church, we don't just exist for the people in the room, we exist for the people not here yet, amen? And when I preach, when we do a service every single week, it's not just for you. It's the people that you know that are not in this room, but maybe watching online or couldn't get here this week. And so what I wanna make sure to do is every time we do anything, that we make it possible for those not in the room to actually get in the room through church online. So because of that, because that's our mission to reach people far from God, tonight we're gonna have a special service at 6 p.m. right here. And we're gonna have a time of worship and prayer and communion since it's gonna snow tomorrow. But then I'm gonna re-preach last week's sermon. And so even if you've heard it, come on, even if you've heard it and you think this is for you again, I wanna invite you to come out, but I want you to bring people who maybe didn't hear it and we can get into the word, John chapter one, tonight at 6 p.m. Anybody excited for that? Amen. All right, let's go to John chapter eight. John chapter eight, that's our reading for today. If you're ready for the word of God, shout, I'm ready. We're gonna go John chapter eight, verses one through 11. And here's what the word of God said. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but... Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, watch this, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Well, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. The very word of God, amen? amen. Says this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. I want you to help announce my sermon title to your neighbor. Look at him and say, neighbor, I'm about to get stoned. Come on, touch your other neighbor, ask him, have you been stoned? Have you been stoned? Have you been stoned? Can I, uh, can I pray for us? We're gonna have a little fun today. Let's stretch a hand towards heaven, if you will. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would, um, you would meet us here in this place for everybody who's been stoned or about to get stoned. Would you, would you meet us here in this place? Thank you for who you are, what you do. Thank you that you are both full of grace and truth. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 
Amen. You guys can take a seat. You know, last week we preached around this idea, I believe, one of the climax verses in John chapter one in verse 14, where it says that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says that he was full of grace. Somebody say grace and truth. Say truth. So he wasn't full of grace or truth like many of us are, it's not just all grace or all truth, it was grace and truth. And if you missed last week, what, what, why that matters is because grace saves and truth frees. Amen, somebody. And all of us, no matter where you're at in life, you still need the grace of God and you still need the truth of God's word because it's the same grace that saved you will be the same grace that sustains you. And the same truth that sets you free back then is the same truth that will set you free right now, Amen. I love how this story opens up in verse three. It says, the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act. You ever been caught in the act before? If you've been caught in the act of something, why don't you go ahead and lift your hand? Okay, now listen, everybody with your hand down, you just got caught in the act of lying <laughs> in church. Now everybody's even, the playing field is even. We've all been caught in the act, right? Like we've all lied, we've all sped, We've all probably cheated on a test in school. We've all done some things that we haven't done. I don't know about you, but I've been caught in the act and I've got a testimony. Anybody else? I thought about sharing a couple of them, but, but I don't know if you, really wanna, if you really wanna hear my testimony. You wanna hear my testimony? I remember the first time I got caught, I was in eighth grade and got caught in the act. Mom dropped me off at a girlfriend's neighborhood pool. And she told me, she said, now son, do not leave this pool. Yes, ma'am. As she drives off, I see her car leaving the neighborhood and uh, her friend came and she said, hey, um, she's not quite ready. She doesn't wanna walk down by herself. Will you come to her house and walk her down? I'll save us some chairs. I'm like, cool. So within three minutes of my mom leaving, I have already left the pool. <laughs> I get to the girl's house. She's changing in her room. I'm gonna leave the story at that. Mom calls me, I'm in her room. Where are you at? See, what had happened was my mom had her friend with her. And as she left the neighborhood, her friend had the audacity to ask her, hey, Candy, do you not check on your son ever? I mean, he is only in eighth grade about to be a freshman. What if he leaves the pool? And my mom's like, you know, my son would never do that. She's like, I think you should circle back around and, and see if he's there. <laughs> so she circles back around. Where are you at? I said, um, I'm pooping. She says, well, I'm at the pool, come out the bathroom. And I said, well, wait, I'm not at the pool bathroom because there was people in that one. I went down the street to a friend's house. She said, whose friend's house? I said, Jesse's. Well, she knew where Jesse lived. I knew at that moment, I better get out of that girl's room and sprint as fast as I could to Jesse's house. Well, by the time I get there, I'm running through the backyards of different houses. And imagine this, here I am, my mom's on the phone with me and she's like, come out the front door if you're in that house. And so my plan was, brilliant plan by the way, I knew Jesse's house was unlocked. And so my plan was, I'm gonna sneak from one house behind the driveway, go through the back of her house, upstairs and out the front door and make my mom look like a fool. So my mom is standing in the driveway. She's facing the street. I'm back over here. And she's like, where you at? Come out the house, come out the house. Meanwhile, while she's on the phone with me, I end the call and I am tiptoeing across the back of the driveway 
And about that moment, I almost made it. My mom turns around, sees me, flips off her heels, takes off running with a heel in her hand. And I thought, today's the day I'm meeting Jesus. I have been caught in the act. And I remember being like, mom, I'm so sorry. And she said something to me. She said, you're not sorry. You're just sorry you got, you're just sorry you got caught. I said, mom, I'll never do it again. She said, that's fine because you're gonna be grounded all summer going into high school. Only thing you can do is go to church. So that was the short stint of youth group that I went to because I got grounded all summer long. I remember another moment. I can't leave this one out, especially with a title like about to get stoned. I uh, fast forward four years later, I have a 18 year old birthday party and we don't really have a lot of spot to, to do it. And I wanted to have a field party, but I didn't have a field, but there was a field in my neighborhood. So I decided to tell about 15 people, hey, we're gonna have a bonfire, bring the natty light. We'll bring the beer pong tables. Don't bring no drugs. Park your cars at my house and walk to the field. So party night comes, it's November, beautiful weather, perfect night. Well, the problem was there wasn't like 15 to 20 people showed up. There was 150 to 200 people showed up. Does anybody got a testimony like this? And we're in this field and I'm thinking we got away with it. They start a bonfire. I'm about to crack open and shotgun a little natty light. And uh, somebody hands me a joint. I ain't never smoked. And I thought, you know what? Tonight is the night I'm about to get stoned. And all of a sudden, as I have a joint in my hand, I hear some keys jingle. Some of you have been here too. <laughs> and I, I go, hey, did you hear that? And they're like, no, what? I was like, did you hear those keys jingle? They're like, no. And about that time, here comes a police officer with his keys on and flashlights everybody. So somebody just yells, run. Everybody's running through this cow pasture. I jumped because some idiot took the gate off the pasture and off the pasture entrance and got his truck back there to have everything. So me and like eight other people jump in the back of his truck and we're thinking if we can just get to the gate, we'll be free. This guy ain't gonna catch us. Little did I know it was a trap. Because as we got to the gate, four cop lights cut their lights on and we're waiting on us right there. And everybody's running and I think, okay, I haven't smoked, I haven't drank yet, I'm good. So I'm, I'm not gonna run. I get out, I'm like, hey, I'm good. So I go sit on the curb. So me and like 10 other people go sit on the curb while they're trying to chase down these teenagers in the, in the, in the, in the cow field. My buddy's over here trying to juke somebody, <laughs> leg sweep. And, uh, <laughs> and he literally fell into a pile of cow manure, which was really awesome. And, uh, and we're all sitting on the curb. But while we're sitting on the curb, I'm like, hey, y'all shut up. Y'all are all messed up. I'm not, let me do the talking. Don't say a word. The only answer you give is, I don't know. So here we are, handcuffed, sitting on the curb, 10 of us. Cop goes, whose party is it? No one says nothing. He looked at me, he said, you know whose party it is. Whose party is it? I think this guy named Aaron. <laughs> you know why, can I be real? You know why I said Aaron? Because Jessica, this girl I had a crush on that I'm now married to for 10 years and have three kids with, uh, that was her boyfriend at the time, I didn't like him. So I said, I said, it's Aaron's, it's Aaron's party. He said, who's Aaron? Now, the problem was Aaron was really at the party and I knew if he got caught, I was done. So I was like, well, Aaron from Watertown, I don't know him, he just threw his party, it's his grandpa's property. He said, this is not his grandpa's property because he called the cops on you. He said, wait a second, I know you. He said, you play basketball, don't you? I said, yep. He said, you're a senior, right? Yeah. I watch you play every Friday night. You're pretty good. I said, thank you. He goes, is your dad Jerry Flannery? I said, that's my stepdad. He said, what would he think if we called him? I said, please don't do that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he said the same thing my mom 
said to me four years before, you ain't sorry, you're just sorry you got, sorry you got caught. Here, you can probably relate of getting caught in, in some way. Um, this woman, it says that she got caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know how y'all read your Bible, but when I read the Bible, I like to imagine myself in the scripture, in the story. And I can just like see it right now. Here we are, we're in the crowd and Jesus is up preaching this sermon and all of a sudden in comes like four or five religious leaders and Pharisees from the church carrying in this woman and I can hear their voice now, Jesus, stop the sermon. For some reason, religious people always gotta act like they smell something bad, you know what I'm saying? Stop the sermon. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? And I can imagine this woman standing there because by the way, she says she got caught in the act. I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, you usually don't do the act with clothes on. So she's caught in the act. I, I would imagine, now I'm just saying, I would imagine if I'm in a store, she may have had time to like maybe wrap herself up in a sheet or a towel. And here she is getting drugged in by these men, by the way, in front of an entire crowd of people and the son of God preaching a sermon. And I can see her now covering up with her hair messed up and missing earrings and her makeup just flooded down her face from crying tears of shame. Can you, can you see that moment? And here she is and she's stuck in this predicament because she got caught guilty. Now, I also don't know where you're from, but last time I checked, it takes two to tango. So I got a couple questions like when I read this story because my first question then is, if, if it was me, like let's pretend right now I'm preaching and all of a sudden the, the overseers of the church bring out some woman, got caught in the act of adultery and, they, and, and, the, and the overseers ask me, what do you say? The first question in my mind is, where he at? Because the act of adultery, I mean, you can't really do that one by yourself. Where, where, where's, the, where's the guy at? Because you, you wanna uphold the law and you said the law says that we should stone someone like this, but the law also says that you gotta catch two people and bring them before somebody and both get stoned. So where he at? Here in a moment, you see this injustice where this woman is being publicly shamed for what she's done, but the man is nowhere to be found. And unfortunately, a lot of you know what it's like to feel what she was probably feeling. You, you know what it's like for people to look at you and condemn you based on what you've done. The guilt that comes with your past, the shame that you feel. And, and what I've learned is, it's one thing to sh feel shame for what you do in private, it's another thing to be shamed publicly. Anybody else? Because when everybody else knows, now you, you can't hide it. And it's interesting to me because shame it even doesn't have to always go public for shame to really start to work on your soul because shame grows best in secret. Shame tends to find its way into causing you to believe this. It starts to shift your focus from you messed up to I failed, therefore that, that means I am a failure. What shame does is shame takes the act 
that you got caught in and attaches it to the identity of who you are. And so now it's not just I failed, it's I'm a failure. But can I just speak some grace and truth into you for a moment? Failure is an event, not a person. And just because you did something and got caught in the act, that doesn't mean that's who you are. The only one who has the right to label you is the one who created you. So you're not your past mistakes, but this is what shame actually causes you to believe. And so some of you don't identify as a child of God, you identify as a problem. You identify as an addict. You identify as a failure. Can I tell you, you are not an addict. You are not a failure. Just because you did it, that doesn't mean that's who you are. Here she is in shame, catching her in the act. The second question is, the first one is like, yo, where's the man? But I'm gonna be real with you. The second one is, yo, why were you watching? Oh, peeping Tom looking. She got some binoculars in there. What you doing? I want to know, how, how'd you catch them? You didn't knock first? Hello? Y'all, y'all looking in the window? So there's only really two reasons I think they could probably catch this woman and her guy in the act. The, the first one is that they were there to see a scene. <laughs> I don't know the establishment these two were cheating in, but it just makes me wonder, why were y'all there? You want to hit on everybody else for being at the bar? Why was you at the bar at 2 a.m.? Why, why were you there? So I think this was either like a, a scene, almost like a session, where they're watching something they ain't supposed to watch. Hello. But that's probably not what it was. Probably wasn't a, a session. It was probably a setup. It, it was probably this moment where they intentionally set her up to get caught. Set her up in a situation where they knew she would be doing the things she's not supposed to be doing. And many scholars believe this and the reason why the man isn't there is because maybe the man was in on it. Isn't it interesting how one person can get caught in the act of something but the other person gets off scot-free? And here they are and they're condemning this woman but the man is gone and I think they set her up. And I just thought, isn't that so much like us? Let's be real. We set people up all the time. We wanna catch people messing up. You know how I know? Because when y'all, when y'all watch two celebrities get married, you're just like, well, how long is this one gonna last? Just watching and waiting for them to fail. Some of you, your favorite hobby is to go to the mall and to watch, and just people watch. What you're really doing? You're there to judge people. So you feel better about yourself. It's almost like you, you can't wait for that person that you say that you like to get promoted because you know that they're, that they're lying about their numbers a little bit and you're gonna do something. You're just hoping they get caught. And here's what happens with church folks. When they get caught, we go in little private prayer circles and we call it prayer, but it's really gossip. Because we love to catch people doing things that, that they shouldn't be doing so that we can feel better about what we're doing or not doing. I think this was a setup. And isn't this the exact same thing the enemy does to us? The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. Can I tell you that the enemy wants to ruin 
your testimony because he knows the end of the story that he will lose. It will be overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. And so what the enemy is trying to get to happen is he's trying to set you up in such a way that when you mess up, people look at your life and you call yourself a Christian and you think that you're holier than thou or you pride yourself in going to church and you're sharing worship songs. And what the enemy will try to do is he'll try to get you caught in the act through other people so that when people look at your testimony, they call it invalid because how could you love a God and still do that act? And so we just go, hey, I I wanna... Trap people, and the enemy is trying to get you trapped. And, and, and the issue is here is, is they're not really concerned by her sin. I mean, yeah, she's guilty, but is that the real reason that they brought her? The like, Jesus, we caught her. But if they were so concerned about the sin, where is the, where's the man? The next scripture says they brought her before the crowd so that they could try to trap Jesus. See, (laughs) when I said they were trying to trap her, you thought they were just trying to trap her. What we don't really realize sometimes is that the enemy isn't just trying to trap you, he's trying to use you as bait to trap God. And they they trapped her. And I think sometimes we we end up finding ourselves trapped. And we would rather somebody else get caught than ourselves because it, it takes too much work to get honest about your own issues, doesn't it? See, what we do is we, um, we, we like to pick up the stones of people, of sins that, you know, um, that we don't deal with ourselves. And so when people mess up, we're like, oh man, Adultery, you cheated. And rather than looking at your own issues, it's easier to like pick up a rock and stone somebody who's committed adultery. See, what I found is, is it's easier. The reason we sh- we're so good at this is because we like to place people's sin in categories. We... We kind of categorize sin, don't we? Like some are worse than others because the consequences are different. And so it's easier for us to just put them in categories. And so we, we, we look down on people who maybe have committed adultery, but you're a liar. You don't wanna talk about that one? We like to look down on people who are addicted. We, uh, we don't wanna talk about your selfishness though, do we? We, uh, this one's probably the worst of all. We, we categorize people that murder. <laughs> Have you read your Bible? Doesn't Jesus say that if you look at someone with evil intent in your heart to harm them, haven't you already committed murder? But it's easier to just, hey, I don't deal with that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, throw, the, I'm gonna throw the stone. I mean, we, we look at all of these categories, like let's just get... Let's just get real honest. Can we go there today? We look at thieves a lot different, but you steal stuff all the time. You're guilty. We, we don't wanna talk about gossip. If we would actually pray to God and quit gossiping about people, maybe we'd see the power of God actually move in our life. We, we, we don't we won't talk about gluttony, do we? Bible says all these things are 
or sin. We, we don't want to talk about pornography. So we'll condemn people who do the physical act of cheating. But we don't want to talk about your search history and your phone. So it's, it's just easier, right? Like it's easier to just throw the rock at them. You want to categorize people who struggle with homosexuality? Well, that one's different, Pastor. You're telling me that God can't redeem somebody who's in a same-sex relationship? Well, we got quiet. What do we, we categorize people for the issues? We won't talk about greed. We won't talk about, I'm a Christian, I'm at church every week, but I ain't tithed in three years. See, the truth is, is if we're just getting honest, when Jesus comes and he's full of grace and truth, what that means is we all need grace and we all need truth. And the truth is, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody, but I can imagine, like us, they probably, they probably put people in categories. And you, you would, let's be honest, if we drug somebody in right now and just decided to publicly tell all of their secrets, this room would gasp. I can't believe you, you would cheat. I can't believe that you would, you would steal. I can imagine that room, right, where when she's in front of this crowd, the whole crowd is gasping. They're, they're freaking out. They're shocked by this woman's sin like many of us would be. But I got good news for you. Jesus ain't shocked by your sin. Jesus never said, oh man, I never knew they were gonna do it. No, he knew you were gonna commit adultery. He knew you were gonna murder. He knew you were gonna lie. He knew you'd be addicted. He knew you would gossip. He knew you would eat too much. But guess what? The good news of the gospel is Jesus wasn't shocked by your sin, but rather went to the cross and died so you can be saved from your sin. Jesus isn't shocked by our issues. So here they come in and they think they're gonna catch him. And John 8, 5, and 6 says, well, so what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something to use against him. I gotta give him credit here. This is brilliant, by the way. What a brilliant trap by the religious. Because see, on one hand, they were right. The law of Moses does say that someone caught in the act of adultery should be stoned. So in one hand, they're right by saying, Jesus, doesn't the law say? And they... It's a smart trick they're trying to get Jesus in because if he would have said, yes, you're right, it does, and he stood up and said, woman, you're getting stoned today. Now what that does is, is it makes him out to be a liar because up until this point, he's talking about I'm full of grace and full of truth and I'm compassionate and I'm loving and I'm gracious. So if he stones this woman, now Jesus isn't somebody to come to to forgive you. Jesus is somebody to come to, but he's gonna condemn you when you do. But on the other hand, if, if Jesus does nothing, he's trampling on the law of Moses. And so they would have known that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus, here he is, and he, he's, got a, he's got a wrestling that happens. He's in the middle of this tension, and he's like, hey, do I trample on the law of Moses or do I trample on this woman? Do I uphold the law or do I stone her. And I want you to watch this, Jesus' response when they asked him, what do you say? Verse six, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. 
I love it too because it says he acted like he didn't even hear him. He ignored him. Number one, the next time somebody wants to stone you, don't take the bait. Look at your neighbor say, don't take the bait. What I mean by that is stop reacting when you have critics say things about you and learn how to respond like Jesus. So many of us, when people accuse us, when they say things about us online, when they write something nasty inadvertently about you, when they gossip behind your back, our gut instinct is to react. By the way, this is exactly what the enemy wants you to do, is to react their behavior that you don't even like. But what would happen if we just took a cue for Jesus for a second and we said, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna react. I'm not going to take the bait because you do realize is that you're, you're just the bait. It says they, the real problem, they were really trying to trap Jesus, but the enemy always has a way of trying to use you to trap God. This is why people will use the excuse for not coming to church because they'll blame it on Christians. Why? Because Christians have fallen into this trap and they've taken the bait and now people don't want anything to do with God because, well, how could you, how could you act like that? What if we learned what James said, that we would be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to be angry? And, and I love what Jesus does here as a response. What a beautiful picture. I told you last week that the gospel of John is different than other gospels. John's gospel is an apologetic gospel defending the faith against Gnosticism, which is the belief that you can obtain some secret type of knowledge and enter into all of eternity. And so understand the purpose in which John is writing, I think mirrors, you'll also see, it mirrors the book of Genesis, which is why John doesn't open up with the literal genealogy of Jesus, but he actually takes it back all the way to the beginning and says, in the beginning, God that he was in the beginning and he too formed and was present with the Father and the Holy Spirit and formed the earth. And I love Jesus' response because when they say, what do you say? He, uh, he gets down and it says he put his finger in the dust and starts doodling. Anybody else like to doodle? Jesus was doodling. What a beautiful picture because the last time I remember God put his hand in the dust, it was to form mankind. What do you say? I just wonder if Jesus is thinking, what do I say, huh? The last time I spoke into the dust, it became a living being and it's looking at me right now. What, what I love about this moment is Jesus didn't have to react because Jesus had already acted. Jesus is writing in the ground what a picture of what John 1.14 really means, that Jesus in the beginning with his heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit did not just breathe life into humanity and leave us to figure out, but John 1.14 says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, that it moved into the neighborhood. Why? Because Jesus didn't just put his finger in the dust. Jesus left heaven, came to earth so that he could identify with those in the dust so that when he looks at you and I, he has been tempted in every way, but says, hey, I formed you. That means I love you. And this thing, this thing you got caught with isn't gonna define you. What defines you is who I am. And so Jesus puts his finger in, in the dust and he stoops down. And then it says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. 
So he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. I don't know about you, but the, the third question I have is, what did Jesus write? Because the first one, I mean, that didn't really, they didn't catch it. But he wrote again. What did he write the second time? Well, here's the truth. We don't know. There's a lot of theories out there. We don't know what he wrote. Can I just tell you something? It's okay not to know sometimes. Because the crowd he was talking to, they thought they had to know everything to get to heaven. It's okay to you go, you know what? I don't know what he said. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna get so caught up in what Jesus said that I miss what he was actually trying to do. <laughs> but just for theory, what could have he said? Some scholars believe he wrote out the greatest commandments in the saying, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It'd be a good, probably a good theory. But it says that the oldest, when they saw what Jesus was writing, the oldest began to walk away first. The best educated guess we probably can get is when you do a little deeper study of what the words, when it says he began to write, when you study that in that language, you'll find out that it was literally the idea of to write against. So the best plausible like guess we have, again, we don't know, is that Jesus was writing something down against the people looking at him. I just wonder if he like stooped down on the ground and he's like, Ronnie Mikowski, <laughs> 1924, murder. I wonder if he was just doodling all of their names and years and ages and sin. <laughs> I can see the oldest ones now. He, he begins writing George's name, George, 1964. When you cheat, and George is like, you know what? I think my wife's calling. I need to go. <laughs> and begins to leave. We, we don't, again, we don't really know, but there was something Jesus said in that moment that reminded them of who they really are. Can I just tell you our biggest problem with not loving people is you don't really know who you are, so you have to attack who you think they are. So we'll look down on people for their category of sin that we don't struggle with, but we don't wanna talk about our own pride. Here's the problem. I think pride's a pretty big deal to God. You know how I know? Because he did kick an angel named Lucifer out of, out of heaven because of it. But see, we don't see that on the same level. Well, oh, well, pride, yeah, I mean, I deal with that, but I mean, you know, I'm not Hitler. I didn't mass murder a bunch of people. So, well, it's not the same thing. Well, I mean, God thinks pride is big enough to actually kick his best worship leader out of heaven and say, hey, you can't be in my presence because instead of wanting to worship me, you wanna be me? I don't know what he said. I just love how he responded because he responds the way he always responds. He gets in the dirt with humanity. And he loves them. Can I submit to you that the difference between Christianity and all other religions is all other religions, whatever it may be, have a message that essentially says it's about what you know and how you behave and what you do. And if you work your way up to heaven, if you do good enough to get into the everlasting life, to get into paradise, whatever the claim may be. Every form of religion says you have to do. You have to go up. But 
The beautiful thing of the gospel is that Jesus says, you don't have to come up because I'm coming down. Jesus says, you don't have to perform. I'll perform for you and do for you what you could never do for yourself. Somebody say, don't, 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 don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Verse eight, all right, Jesus says, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. So in one statement, Jesus said something that had them not looking at other people, but had them doing the hardest thing for any of us to do, and that is to look at yourself. There was something he wrote in that sand that day that made them get their eyes off of people and get their eyes on themselves. And here's what I came to tell you. Don't throw the stone. Don't throw the stone. Drop it. Somebody say drop it. Because we've all messed up. We've all sinned. Let me paint you a picture really quick. I don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, I want you to imagine you find yourself on trial for your life. By the way, you are on a trial in life right now. And let's say your court date comes and you got caught in the act. See, the thing about adultery back then is adultery was not just frowned upon, adultery was illegal, just like murder. It's like stealing. And the punishment was death. So let's just say you've looked at someone with lust in your heart and by definition, you've committed adultery. Let's just say you've wanted to hurt somebody with your words or with your fist. You've committed murder. Let's just say, I'll even stretch it to this. You had sex before you're married. You took somebody's virginity. You're a thief. Not just of theirs, but of your own. So let's just say we're in the old law and we're standing before a courtroom like this today and you're up on the stand and the judge says, confess, innocent or guilty, how do you plead? And you're honest and you say, I'm guilty. And you know you deserve death because that's what the law says. And a just judge isn't gonna let you go scot-free. Whether the judge likes you, loves you, at the end of the day, you committed the crime, therefore you gotta do the time. And, and the time is immediate death. And let's say that judge is about to swing his gavel. And just as how he is about to pronounce you to death by execution, in walks a man and says, judge, hold up. Um, I, I know they don't really know me, but I know who I am. And I've never even got a parking ticket. I have a perfectly clean record. It's flawless. Never lied, never cheated, never committed a single crime. Judge, if you'll so allow this to be, I want you to take out the punishment that this person deserves and I wanna give them my clean record where I changed their name and I changed their identity. I'm gonna give them my perfect record and in exchange, I'll take their broken record and I'll actually pay the penalty that they deserve. Can I tell you, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for you. Jesus came, paid the price that you should have paid but could not pay because he loves you. So don't throw the stone. And I wanna end with this thought because you need to get it today. If you leave and you don't hear anything else I say, the next time you mess up and you're about to get stoned for something you've done, you need to hear me. Jesus did not come to stone. Holy Spirit's waking somebody up. <laughs> hear me. Jesus didn't come to stone you. Jesus came to save you. 
It's interesting to me that of everybody standing there that was holding rocks, there was only one who didn't have a rock in his hand. Out of everybody there, there was only one that was without sin. And he knew he had every right to stone her if he chose. But instead, he chose to be merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is when, when God doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. And what we deserve is death. What we deserve is separation. This is not a popular message. But you need to understand that though you have messed up, God is still merciful. And he didn't come to stone you, he came to save you. Amen, somebody? And then here's the last thought I wanna leave you with. Verse nine, it says that when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. So they did the right thing, right? He says, hey, whoever ain't got sin, throw the stone. And what do they do? They, they drop their rock, but then they slip away. I love the fact that in that moment, they decided, you know what? He's right. I'm not gonna throw the stone, I'm gonna drop it. But then they made a mistake that I think we make with sermons like this one. Um, we got caught in the act today. I've gotten caught in the act today. Anybody else? What we tend to do is we hear that message about not judging other people and we'll drop the rock, but then we slip away. Can I just tell you, last point and then we're out. Don't slip away. Don't slip away. They slipped away. They left. Can, can I just tell you what they should have done rather than slip away? Instead of slipping away from Jesus who they just saw was merciful and gracious, instead of walking away from that God, instead of walking away, instead of slipping away, they should have got down. And they should have been in the dust with this woman and Jesus. Because can I tell you that God doesn't just love those of you who have these extreme testimonies where you went out and ruined your life and God raised you from the pit, but God also loves those of you who've been in church your entire life but have a religious spirit. It doesn't say he just came for the extremely broken. It says that God so loved the, he so loved the, that he gave his only son. God, God loves everyone. And the, the, the opportunity to come to Jesus was not just for this woman. The opportunity to come to Jesus was for these men who also had sinned. And instead of slipping away, they could have gotten down. And here's what happens if you slip away because you've either been stoned or you've done the stoning. Here's what happens. You miss the opportunity to see what God could do with your stone. Y'all ain't hearing me. See, really all the church is, it's just a group of people who've decided, I'm not gonna throw the stone, I'm not gonna take the bait, I'm not gonna slip away. But God, you can have my stones. This is just a picture of the church that's full of people whose names are on these stones, who said that they wanted to be a part of a church to make a difference in the world. 
And when you drop your rock, you start to get to see the beauty that your sin ain't the only one on the altar. I love this picture because you no longer can see the sins of the people that you don't like. All you can see is a pile of broken stones that all need grace and all need forgiveness. If you slip away and you walk away too soon because the church is broken, here's what you're gonna miss out on. You're gonna miss out on the fact that the way God builds his kingdom is with a bunch of broken stones that laid their life down and said, I'm gonna build them up and I'm gonna use their story to give God glory. I've got a testimony. Does anybody else have a testimony today? Come on, stand to your feet, I'm closing. You have no watch. This message was not just for the woman. This message was for everyone because God didn't just come to earth to do a great work in you. God came to earth to redeem you so he could do a great work through you. Don't slip away just because you have a stone. Drop the rock, join the team. This church is just a bunch of broken stones that say, God, whatever you wanna do with my life, you can have it. God says, now that, that's a testimony I can use. And one day you'll overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. You have no idea what God wants to build through your story. That's why you gotta share it. And I love Jesus. He says, hey woman, look around. Anybody condemn you? She says, no. Lord, they don't. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more grace and truth. He doesn't say go and live the life you just wanna live because I've saved you and now grace was free. No, 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 no. Grace was free, but discipleship is costly. And he says, now that I've saved you, I want you to live for me. I want you to drop your rock and lay down your stone so that I can build something beautiful through your story. We're out of time, but if we just could, I would love to invite our worship team up and we, we, we got about seven minutes. What a great number. And, and today, listen, you may not know this song. Um, I, I want you to pay attention to the words that are written. Because this is why we're all here. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, who loved you, put on flesh, died for you, rose again in your place and for your sin so that you could be saved and forgiven. Today, whether you've been stoned or you've done the stoning, I wanna use this time as a moment between you and God to simply reflect and to give him your stone and say, God, you can have it and build whatever you please. I'd love to pray before we sing. If today you're... Um, guilty and need the mercy of God. Maybe you know Jesus, but you slipped away. Jesus is bringing you back home today. If that's you, I'd love for you to just shoot your hand up and I wanna pray for you. If today you're saying, you know what, I I need prayer, I'm guilty. If that's you, just shoot your hand up all over the room. Father, I pray for those whose hands are lifted today. And I pray and thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy for sinners like us. May we lay our life down with other people we humble ourselves 
so that you, God, can get glory. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Um, I want to pray for those who've never made this decision to lay their life down. And uh, I want to give you that opportunity now. So if you would, bow your head, close your eyes. and It's just a moment between you and God. Nobody looking around. Let's honor one another in that way. This is not about getting caught in the act of surrender. This is about an opportunity we get to surrender to a loving and holy God. So if that's you today, I want you to say this with me. Say, today, I give you my life. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again so that I can be forgiven and set free. I trust in you. I lay down my life. This is my new beginning. If you just prayed that for the first time on the count of three, just shoot your hand up. One, God loves you. Two, he saves you. Three, shoot your hand up all over the room. If you're praying that prayer today, you're coming to God for the first time. You're coming back to God today. Come on, shoot your hand up. Nobody looking around. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Father, I thank you for the hands lifted, the hearts that are being changed today. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.